Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by The Apocalypse, finally we're all outside playing again. Let's blow out the candles and start the show. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Love Spelled Backwards is Love. See the new rom-com that will make you gasp and howl with laughter. Love Spelled Backwards is Love is in theaters now. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And I don't even remember where I got that. I wrote that one so long ago that it's just, yeah. who knows? <laughs> it's from some rom-com you watched. I don't know. Because you like those things. <laughs> oh, I'm huge fan. Give me, mm-hmm. I don't know, zero rom-coms all day and I will watch everyone. Sleepless in Seattle. I know you have it on repeat. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'll probably watch that one every like seven to 10 years and enjoy it for the most part. There's a few rom-coms okay. that I, I genuinely like. I'm not saying they're great, but I like them. I like Hitch. I like Boomerang. It's an old... I liked it too. Really? Nice. Um, yeah. I, old... Is that really a rom... I guess it... Yeah, I guess it's a rom-com. Yeah, beyond that, I don't know. I don't know how many other rom-coms I have in my back pocket that I'm like, yeah, that definitely qualifies right. as a rom-com. Yeah. That's right. But welcome to the show. Uh, we are filmmakers, um, writers. Todd's a full-time producer. Coming up this February, I will have been a full-time filmmaker for 10 years, um, which is kind of wild to say out loud. Amazing. Yeah. Big, big shift in my life for sure. That, um, I mean, let me just let's just pause for a second to, to, to take that in. That's crazy. I remember... I remember working with you in the office, right? And then, and I remember the day, and we've talked about this, but I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but I remember the day you told me you wanted to buy a camera and, and I was such a jerk. I remember my exact words to you were why, um, just be, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know how into film you were and, and how you wanted to, you know, what you wanted to do with it. Right. And so I thought it was like photography and, but still that's a kind of a shitty response you know for a friend to say why um uh but now you know fast forward i mean because that was you know probably like a year or two before mm-hmm. you know that ended and uh fast forward you know nearly 12 years like that's it's amazing you've been doing you've been doing this for a decade man that's that's a, that's a kudos to you bro that's that's a hard it's a hard thing and i know there have been times where you know it's easy to the easy thing, the easy road would be, oh, I'm just going to go, you know, get a job at Starbucks when I need it. But you've never done that. You've never done that. You've always like, like, you know, continued and pushed forward. That's pretty awesome. It's pretty scary for sure. There's those moments when once or twice I was like a week away from literally, literally going and working at uh, uh, Five Guys and Fries. Uh, I saw an ad and it was like, whatever, 10 or 12 bucks an hour. And I was like, man, if I don't have something come up in the next week... <laughs> I I'm going to go apply because I don't know if I'll be able to make rent beyond next month. Uh, luckily, one of my my big things is I live very cheaply. I don't care about a lot of things in terms of I don't the things that I, I do care about are very expensive habits, whether it's gym equipment or film, which in the last 10 years, 90 percent of my income has gone towards film in one way or another, sometimes literally film, film stock, um, or lights or just projects or whatever. And so anything that wasn't baseline, like food and shelter, uh, went towards work stuff, uh, which is good because it's tax deductible, which is not a coincidence. <laughs> I, I spent that money because right. I needed to reduce to either that or let uncle Sam have it all, I guess. And, um, that's a whole other topic, I guess. But uh, yeah, <laughs> thanks, man. I appreciate that. It, there's definitely been plenty of times when I was like, I don't know if I can afford to keep doing this. But the question I always come back to is, if I quit this, what else am I going to do? And mm-hmm. while I think I have the, the 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 IQ to do a bunch of other things, uh, there's nothing else that I really have to do with my life. And until that changes, I'm just going to keep doing this. Um, until I just don't love it anymore. Uh, the minute it becomes just work, a job, I'll go make more money doing something else because, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, assuming anybody will hire me now that all my skill sets are really just one thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, oh. yeah, no, I, I get it. You know, there's a, there was yeah. a, a saying though, too, you know, that, that, well, 
there's two things. One that I wanted to bring up. One was this, this idea of you could fail at what you don't want to do. So you might as well try to do what you want to do. Right. So, because like you, you could go off and get a job and then all of a sudden, you know, work that job for 20 years and then get laid off. Right. If that, and that's not necessarily what you want to do. So you might as well do what you want to do. Right. But then there, and then on the flip side of that, also not the flip side, but also there's this, this other idea of, you know, you have this, you have this, you could call it a gift, but the way I like to, to propose it is you have a calling. You have this thing that gives you a reason to wake up in the morning, right? You're excited. Right? I'm, I'm excited to, like, I'm excited to wake up and come to my computer and work on music, you know, your, or, or to edit, you know, a, a, a video I'm working on or something. You're excited to wake up and write a script or work on your script or respond to that email to the client or finish that edit that, you know, you're going to get about to get paid for, you know, and then there's, and so those days where you're not going to have, where you don't have anything in, it's still a pretty easy decision because that's what you want to do anyway. And if you have, you really don't have a lot of risk. You know, most people don't have a, as much risk as they think, yeah. right? Like it's, it's, you know, if I, if I quit my job and I just went on the road, I'm risking a lot personally, just because of my kids, you know, that I've got to feed and stuff. But mo like most people who like, if you don't have kids that you have to feed, you can go hungry for a while. You know what I mean? You don't have, you don't have to like put food in someone else's mouth. And I think that that, that is a testament to you for recognizing that and putting all of your eggs in the, in that basket. Right. Because dude, you only live once. And unless you really have these things to risk, you know, you should go all in, which is what you've done for the last decade. And that's, that's just awesome, man. That's just saying a lot. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I just want it to be known that I'm proud of that for you. I'm proud of you for doing that. I appreciate you know? that. And all that's true in terms of, I, I, I only have to look out for me at this point in my life. Um, and I am, you're right. I am utilizing that to, to my full advantage. And the other thing is I'm not afraid of the risk of the risks that I do have to make. Right. Uh, whenever you start talking about, I don't know if I can pay rent, like there is stress involved and there's risk involved with that. Um, there's a lot of single people in America who know exactly what I'm talking about. And for me, there's still no fear with that because I, I don't know if our, our audience really knows. I grew up very poor, like very, very poor. I, I don't want to belabor that point, but uh, it, there was a short period of my life where we were literally showering out in the yard. Like I didn't grow up with cameras around me and just all the, the, the tools at my disposal. Um, and so the idea that I could be here uh, is just an astronomical fluke in, in from my, my child's eyes, right? Me as a kid looking up. And at the same time, I know what's at the bottom. I know what waits for me there. And you know what? I've done this before. I can do it again. Uh, yeah, there's 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 nothing for me to be afraid of because I, I know exactly what's down there. Um, and for that, I'm grateful, you know? And so why not yeah. take a shot? Why not go for it? 100%. And you have for yeah. a decade. That's badass, <laughs> That's right. bro. Oh, yeah. Badass. So let's see what someone else is taking a risk and gamble on. What are we doing today, man? Today, we're covering The Raid Redemption. If you haven't seen it, please pause this episode and go watch it. We're going to run down a lot of stuff and give away a lot of stuff, so we don't want to spoil anything for you. For sure, We'll talk about a few things, some of the cinematography and camera work. We'll look at some of the fight choreography, the way they have fast and fluid fighting in here, as well as a little bit of the story and writing, some of the simple storytelling that they do, as well as kicking the dog storytelling and establishing the big bad uh, and other such stuff and things and stuff. I'm, I'm going to kill this. <laughs> this is terrible. Why do we pick these movies? Fuck. Uh, next time, uh, the next movie we, we're going to do is going to be like by Bill Johnson and uh, Jim Peters, <laughs> and the whitest names in the world, just so that you can actually nail all those two names. first names, Doug <laughs> first Ray. Names. Billy I, I don't. I want it this simple. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Frank. Frank. 
Oh, I actually God. wrote a comedy okay. series uh, called Frank and Frank a while back. Um, I was going to do it with our boy Aaron, mm-hmm. who couldn't make this episode today, unfortunately. Just FYI, I, I tried to schedule him, but he was flying back from a Netflix gig, I, I believe. Um, and so he just couldn't quite do it. But Wah. such is life. <laughs> oh, anyway, as yes. as take as a is. shot, sir. <laughs> oh, God, this is this is awful. All right, here we go. Synopsis of the film. A SWAT team is trapped in a tenement run by a ruthless mobster and his army of killers and thugs. Written and directed by Gareth Evans. Cinematography by Matt Flannery and Dimas Imam Subhono. Starring Iko Uweiss as Rama. Donnie Alamance as Andy. Yayan Ruhian as Mad Dog. Ray Sat. I can't do it. I can't even read it. I can't even sound it out. Oh, I'm awful. I'm, I am an awful human being. Ray Sahatepi as Tama and Pierre Gruno as Wayu. Nice. That's a thousand times better than I would have done. Um, oh, ouch. Yeah. Yeah. That's how bad it would have been. Um, no clip today because I don't think very many in our audience speak Indonesian. I certainly do not. And so we'll just dive right in. I, I, you've seen this before, right? This wasn't your first time. No, I hadn't. I had heard a lot about it Ah. and I saw it. There was like a sequel or a follow-up or something, or maybe even an American version. I can't remember, but I saw that, but I always heard that, that this one was the best one. Yeah. I think there's one or two that came after this. I saw the, the redemption uh, raid two. Um, I don't remember if I saw the third one or if there is even a third one um but yeah this is definitely the superior the raid so i guess give it to me in pieces as a story yay or nay um and then from a fighting standpoint uh action movie standpoint yay or nay i mean i i liked i liked all of it uh i thought the story i i personally thought the story was really solid i mean we open up with this guy, we see his, um, who's, you know, kind of waking up and training at home. And then we see his wife, we know that she's pregnant. We see him kiss her goodbye. We have this connection with her and with him and her right away, immediately. We already want him to get back to her and we know this is going to be a long day for him. And then very next shot, we're like right into the van, uh, with all the guys and they're going to this thing. We're being, we're getting all this exposition of this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. This, this is the you know, we get all of that. We get to the place. There's the stress of actually being there. I felt stressed the whole time. A lot of it to do with that setup, you know, with the the wife at the beginning. And then we had, and then they meet this, this, you know, random, this random guy. And we're wondering who is this guy? Okay. He's coming along with them. Okay. They're, they get into the, into the building. Uh, you know, I don't really know exactly what other than getting to the main guy, you know, what the, real goal is other than to like clean out this building but then we get more exposition throughout about this guy who they picked up and because the whole time i'm thinking where are there's got to be more cops coming right and they're just gonna wipe out everybody but then we find out oh there aren't any more coming and we find that out you know after some people have died and 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 then it's just this this whole i how is he going to get out of here? There's no way he's going to get out. And constantly I'm thinking there's no way he's going to get out of this. There's no way he's going to get out of that. The fight scenes are amazing. They're, they're dope. They're so cool. I really wish Aaron was on this episode. I would love to hear what he thinks about the, the fighting choreography. I, I just loved it. I loved it. I love that the, the, the main hero gets the crap kicked out of him. It's not just he's beating everybody up, which he does that too. But he he gets beaten down a lot. I love, yeah, I I loved it all. I, I thought that the the story was solid. Uh, his brother being part of the the bad, you know, the bad guys. I just thought it was I thought it was great. There might have been you know a couple of like a huh, couple of head tilts now mm-hmm. and then, but for the most part, it was such a great popcorn movie to sit down and just enjoy. I could watch it again right now, you know, pretty easily. Yeah, they don't waste a lot of time getting to the action, right? It's just uh, right. Let's establish our our main guy, and we we hear him have a conversation with his dad, like I'm going to bring him back, and you're just like, I don't, I don't know what that means exactly. And then we're suddenly in the SWAT car, making our way, and from there, I mean, it takes minutes before the first 
you know, set of people are going down. They, this was designed from the beginning to be like a high octane. Let's get straight to it. And designing, I think the story to be so, so simple, right? We're just going to have these guys get trapped in a building filled with bad guys and go. <laughs> like, um, and you're right. Yeah. It was kind of obscure. Uh, even the second viewing, I've only seen it once before. And I remember feeling the exact same way um, that you just described. Like I enjoyed it all. It was quick and lean and I cared about everybody in here. Uh, and then you find out that that's his brother and you're, that adds in the, another layer of like, Oh crap. Like I really want them both to live now. Like I thought this was going to be a big showdown, but it turned out to be like uh, a reunion. And that was fun. Yeah. For me, this still holds up. I think the drama play doesn't play quite as strong the, the second time through just because you, once you kind of know some of those twists, there's really no other cards in their hand. And, but the way they designed it, it's still such a good rewatch um, because of the reasons that we're talking about. It's so fast to the action and uh, the fight sequences are incredible. They could redo this movie and make the story a bit better or even a lot better for all I care. Um, but you could never match the action in this film. There, you just can't do it. It would be a lesser film trying to redo all this action. Uh, and while I was, I, I finished my rewatch and notes and set up a little early. So I started digging in and apparently like the, uh, all the, the court fight choreo was done by Iko, uh, the main character Rama and mad dog, um, Yayan Ruhian. Um, they did all the fight choreography in this and, uh, which wow. also kind of explains while, why their, their final fight sequence together is so incredible because that kicked at a certain point. It, this has been a running theme for the last few episodes. You get to like a point of, okay, they've kind of done everything I could think of them doing, right? You have some of these incredible deaths. The, the, the guy, like they have a great use of whatever's right at hand, right? Whether it's guns, uh, knives, machetes, they have an entire machete fight. Uh, that was just like finding a really fun ways to, to like slice people's throats open. <laughs> like that's, that was yeah. so cool. Yeah, and and but but it all it all had this like movement to it. So because it's in a building, you can change scenes so easily. Yeah. So one in a new scene, so that that's why like I don't know, for me I feel like it's so rewatchable because we're in one room and stuff happens. There's a certain type of choreography whether he's taking, you know, and Rama is is amazing. So like he'll make a decision and he'll just do it. You know, and we see that from the very beginning when he grabs the 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 tank out from underneath the sink and he throws it in the in the fridge immediately, and then he just makes this decision to do that, or he takes the axe and he's axing the floor to to cut a hole in the floor. He just immediately makes a decision and does it. I love it when main heroes do that when they're not when they don't sit there with them and think for twenty seconds. No, do it. Um, but then they move into a whole nother room, and then we have this whole nother scene, a whole nother fight piece of fight choreography and then they move into another room it's just so so great it's brilliant that it's all in one building because you can just walk into another room and then you have this whole other type of fighting whether that be machetes like you said or you know guns or knives or whatever so yeah yeah and i love that like it's rare to find a movie that does both gunplay and like martial arts like there there aren't very many of these usually you kind of stick to one or Good the point. other and you know and you could go a couple episodes back to find another one that does it equally well there's really great gunplay then they just keep elevating all these things right the the knife fight alone was already like holy crap like uh this is intense and you're watching him like tear people's knees apart <laughs> it's just brutal um but just within the fighting itself like i love that there's not too much of this posing and framing up a punch or a kick or whatever it's very fast very fluid and it feels like a real-time fight and and that it's breathless and everyone is trying to win every single second just because you finished one guy like you you put him down on the ground uh you are immediately moving to the next guy because he's coming at you without taking a pause uh and most most fight you know movies uh with a lot of fighting have these brief little 
pauses between those moments. And this, they clearly worked their asses off um, and trusted each other. And maybe they were working with a bunch of guys they knew from uh, wherever they, you know, fight and work out uh, because it just felt absolutely like masterful their ability to move from one thing to the next uh without making it feel like anyone's waiting for you um or you need to wait for them to throw their punch like it's all happening now there there are certainly you know some moments of convenience that are happen here and there like early in that fight that knife sequence there's some moments where the henchmen are kind of entering only after the last bad guy's taken down like oh he killed him and now from that same doorway there's another bad guy with a knife coming out like it doesn't bother me though because it just kept the action moving and it's just good pacing and it never felt cheap because as you you know work your way through these scenes there's plenty of opportunities uh to challenge the hero with two three four guys at a time and so it never felt like oh we're just you know going to make it easier on the hero instead it felt like we're building up to something else um and in that way it never the the moments of convenience never felt too convenient because of how much inconvenience was was to come um it all it all just was fluid and it's impressive too because this was a 1.1 million dollar budget um which is pretty insane for the amount of stuff that they have going on in here um, wow I, yeah, I've seen other million dollars. I, in fact, I watched another, someone recommended a, a horror film on, on Hulu that I watched and I thought they shot this movie with like $50,000 and I was really impressed with like the, the lighting and cinematography. Uh, and then I Googled it and it was like, they had a million dollar budget and I, I, I couldn't help but just think someone pocketed about $900,000 and just spent the last 100k on that movie because it was just trash. Oh wow. But to see them take a million dollar budget and make it look like a 20, 30 million dollar budget um is really impressive. Um and I think that's a that's a, and they shot I again I had a few more minutes than normal. I'll link you to the the Wikipedia that basically is where I'm getting all my all these uh, uh brief notes. But they they shot on these Panasonic, um, not quite DV cam, but uh, they shot in HD on these really cheap cameras, um, and they built what's called a fig rig, which is it looks kind of like a movie, but I think it's more built out of PVC pipe. Um, so instead of like a steady cam rig, they were going full on handheld and and using these really, I don't know, it's maybe five or seven bucks to put together these these steady cam rigs. Uh, these little handheld workstations um, and it allowed them to do some really cool stuff like the that scene where they jump down through that floor you're talking about when he axed the floor open and the guy jumps down and then the camera follows him down afterwards like they had the camera op on wires so that he could fall through the floor half of them and then pass the camera off on the other side to another camera op that was down there waiting and whenever you have a really light rig uh, with a very small footprint, you can do simple, cool things like that. And so it's very much, you know, them maximizing their potential with that budget and just with creativity. I'm blown away uh, because the camera work perfectly follows the action. Like if a guy is being stabbed, the camera is moving with the hand to provide, you know, excitement, but it's still wide enough to show the context of where it's landing and everything that's happening. You never... This this is not Paul Greengrass filmmaking. This is very much we understand every single beat that's happening and how it lines up with the scene um, instead of just, you know, you know, uh, you know, 10 year old or five year olds karate hand movement. All right. Cha, 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 cha. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you see yeah. everything that's happening yeah. and it's beautiful. It's uh, perfectly telegraphed to the camera, but not in a way that it feels like it's being telegraphed to the camera. And that gets to the fluidity of it all. Well, yeah, and I would, I would, I mean, maybe they saved a little bit of money by making a lot of it indoors mm-hmm. too, right? Where there's not a lot of windows, you know, there's, there's some windows in there's, I mean, there's plenty of windows in, in like some shots and stuff, but where, you know, if you're, if you're lighting one hallway, you know, you have pretty similar lighting for the next hallway, right? You know, obviously yeah. when you're in a room, like, you know, uh, and there's a window from that in that room, that's different. You have to light mm-hmm. it differently and stuff, but you know, making a lot of it indoors. But I mean, I'm not diminishing 
it. I'm saying, I'm saying that that's smart, you know, doing it indoors where you can do a lot of the lighting similar, but then they also had some really difficult stuff. Like, you know, the, the shots where the, at the very beginning where of the, of the fighting, you know, where it was dark and then the guys from the second le- or the next floor up could finally could see them when, when the, a muzzle shot like lit up the room, you know, that's, that's very hard to do. It's very hard to, it's a very hard thing. You have to plan that kind of thing. So they were still brilliant with it, but yep. it was, you, yeah, if you, if you, I guess for one, I don't know if, you know, filming in Indonesia was able to stretch their dollar a little bit further than if you were shooting in mm-hmm. America, right? Um, sometimes shooting on location can be extraordinarily expensive, but maybe if you pick the right location and the right team, and like you said, the right setup, shooting indoors and this dilapidated building that you don't have to set deck to the nines, which comes into picking the right story, uh, that that can allow you a lot of freedom to say, okay, let's pick our, our moments to splurge a little bit, whether that's that little muzzle flash, slow motion moment, right? which is really fun um, or, you know, jumping out the window, uh, which that's a lot of setup. That's wire rigging. And uh, that's a fake window that you, if you want to get more than one take, well, you're going to need a crew to come in and uh, install that, have new windows on standby. And so maybe mm-hmm. standardizing some of the, cause they break a lot of windows and tables and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And if you say, okay, if we can just pick those moments um, maybe it's not, it's not the end of the world that we don't have, you know, five or $10 million. Um, we can, we can do a lot with 1.1 and then picking that camera also kind of chose their style for them. Right. It, it's a very high contrast film, which plays into this universe. Like this is a, a gritty underworld CD place. Uh, so why wouldn't it be kind of uh, like high contrast and you can't really see into the shadows that well. And you, maybe you're mm-hmm. losing some highlights here and there. And now it just gets into the basics of cinematography. Let me just compose a good image. Okay, let's pick a really cool building that has cool features, these sweet stairwells and a courtyard. And now our most expensive piece to this whole thing will be maximized. We're not going to pick a boring building. We're going to pick a cool one. And we'll, we're just not going to, we're going to, dress it down in fact right we're gonna spend some time making it look worse and then we can shoot wherever we want yeah they and they had a lot of fun other things in terms of the just combining the the story idea with you know maximum impact to the viewer like the the guy running down the hallway with his hands behind his back right it looks like he's he's pretending to be tied up uh, and then he shoots a cop like that's a really fun interesting moment that costs you absolutely nothing that's writing giving you a lot to do um that's free like these are free things that you can do the what's not free is that makeshift bomb with the fridge in the gas tank but maybe it's also not that cheap how much does that fridge cost you know oh we can spend two hundred dollars or borrow this fridge from a junkyard um throw it in this apartment and we can from that same junkyard pull out a gas tank and now in post all we really need to do is add some some fumes coming out uh, shove the thing and we we just for four hundred dollars <laughs> we well yeah plus the explosion that probably did cost something but or not i don't know because these guns I, I was reading on that same wiki entry these guns are all airsoft guns and all the 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 casings flying and all that kind of stuff was uh, mostly done in post and so mm-hmm. you probably set aside and- 150 200k for post visual effects and maximize everything you're doing on the day in post uh which you don't want to incredible <laughs> really is. it's just knowing your moments like okay where can i call in a favor or can i uh what's this going to cost you might ask ahead of time say hey you put in a call to you know three or four visual effects companies and say hey here's what we're doing what's this going to run us okay well if it's going to cost that for x amount of shots We'll do half of that and the rest we'll just do in reaction shots, right? You don't necessarily need to see a gun slide back and shoot. Uh, if you do that once or twice, great. You've sold the idea and the rest can live on the reactions of the bullets hitting someone or uh, someone reacting to getting shot or shooting someone. Like you only need to do that a couple of times to make it feel real to the audience and the rest doesn't matter. 
Uh, we just need to believe it once mm. for you to do it a thousand times. Um, and that's just good directing. And Gareth Evans is wow. a freaking king, man, of just sell the idea. Don't sell it a thousand times. Sell it once. <laughs> uh, that's perfect. Because then it would get really exhausting true as well to the viewer yeah. to be sold and sold and sold and sold and sold every time and i mean they do sell it more than once obviously but but it's never it's never too much to get exhausted by it but it's just enough to start getting like oh oh my gosh like you know i need a i need a break and then they give you breaks and whenever you want to talk about story i mean like they, they do such a great job the the best action movies are are strong with story mm-hmm. and they do a great job of of putting enough story in here to where we're not just seeing people get sliced up or shot or and that is the story no you know there's the brother there's the the guy who lives there is trying to get to his wife there's the mm. the crooked cop there's rama with his wife the, there's a lot of stuff weaved in woven in there that uh who's who's the the sergeant that's that's heading I, I I don't know who he is, but yeah. when he di- when he dies at with Mad Dog, it's like, oh man, that hurt, that hurt, because you know he's he's not going to abandon Rama. He's not. He's there. He's like straight laced, and he's going to get everybody out. You know, and then so when he dies, oh man, it hurts. It you does, know? and that's a really so. important scene because this is kind of where we really establish Mad Dog as a big bad henchman, mm-hmm. and it's important because he's small. Right. So he needs a little more build up to feel dangerous and worthy of a big fight that's coming down the down the line. And so they have a great setup when he allows the guy to live. Right. He's got the drop on him. He's got a gun. Dude's only got a knife. Uh, This is the proverbial. You brought a knife to a gunfight and he doesn't squeeze the round off. Not only that, but he puts the gun down and he just starts. He he has the advantage, gives it up because he his thing is the actual fighting. He loves it. Whenever you have someone not just so confident, but just so in love with the fight, you suddenly want to see what they got. Uh, and so, and to your point earlier, like it's even Rama gets his butt kicked a time or two, but everyone does. No one is the perfect fighter in this movie. And that's so much more satisfying, at least in this universe, than seeing someone just, you know, tee everyone up and knock them out. And so, it's a great setup and allows us to really start to buy into this smaller guy as someone you should absolutely fear and, and, and have a little trepidation for, uh, especially, you know, whenever it comes to that final blow, because they, uh, I'm so in love with that sequence because it's a great use of sound, right? Um, the music and the sound effects to kill the cop with high drama, with this brutal finality to it. Um, and, and so what they do, right, is they cut out all the ambient noise, all the foley of the footsteps and uh, the punching sounds. And now it's just emotional music and sound effects for emphasis. It's not a, a head cracking noise. It's, you know, this bassy instrument kind of striking as it happens. And I think that's important for, you know, a number of reasons. For one, to, to let you know, whenever the big fight happens, they start kind of reenacting some of these moments and it's triggering you to, to remember like, oh God, like this guy, he's got the upper hand. There's something bad about to happen. Um, but it's also important uh, because you've been desensitized up until this point with all the violence. Like it's just been nonstop knives going into people's necks and scapulas and and throats being ripped out or whatever. Uh, and so suddenly to have all that stuff stripped away kind of re- resets you in order to dial in emotionally with the scene because, you know, what we haven't had a lot of is, you know, slow, dramatic music. Uh, and so suddenly whenever you switch those gears, you're now much more in sync and it feels that much more bad because it still hits me. I I'm still, you know, only my second time through, but I was still like, Oh God, no, this, it hurt, which is so crazy because there's no actual bone crunching or any of that stuff in there. That's just beautiful sound design and, and directing to choose that moment, uh, to, to, to establish all of those things. Uh, it's just, I, man, I could not agree more. Could not agree more. And that that needed to happen for Mad Dog because we up until this up until that point, I think that I really viewed the main guy as the main guy. Right. Who who was it? Why uh, you? 
well, yeah, why you? I, I viewed him as the main, you know, like, I guess I kind of looked at it like a video game, right? You get to the boss. Right. Right. And so like, he's the boss, but he's not, he, he wasn't really the boss. The boss was Mad Dog. That's right. Um, but we, we find that out when he finally killed in that scene, when he finally kills him and you're like, oh man, because it's a, it's also a, that moment where he snaps his neck. It's also a very long moment. Like they take their time in him setting it up and getting into position because also it's very hard to break someone's neck that way. Um, it's, it's not just like a, you know, how they do it in movies where you just like think and he's dead. Mm-hmm. No, it's like really, you have to put all your whole body into it. And so he sets it up and he's like, one, he has to beat him down to the point where he has no energy left to even fight. Right. So he beats him the crap up and then to, gets in that position, takes a long time to do it. And so that establishing not only the whole fight scene, but then how long it takes him to get into position to snap his neck is like, okay, now it, and then when it happened, when it happened, I thought, I thought, Oh no, wait a minute. Or at, before it happened, as it was happening, I thought there's no way there's no way something, somebody it's, they're taking too long. Somebody's going to shoot through the door and kill Matt, this guy. And it doesn't happen. And when it doesn't happen, I thought, Oh, wait, he can't be dead. No, he's not dead. He's not dead. Which speaks to, how I was uh, connected with that character. You know, mm-hmm. I thought this guy is going to be with Rama. They're going to get out, you know, and, and get through it. And when it doesn't, didn't happen, it kind of pulled a little bit away from me. I, I, it was just great filmmaking. <laughs> it was just great filmmaking in that moment. It's know? fantastic. And we'll come back to why you here in a second, but that big fight scene at the end with the mad dog, like, is teed up at this point. And I love it. There were two moments that got me really giddy um, where I just started laughing, right? Because I was just so excited about what was happening on screen. I think the first big one was in the, uh, the, the lab whenever they're like taking all these guys out on the lab and then Rama jumps on the table and starts running. And then the other guy jumps on the table and starts running. It felt just oh, yeah. the coolest thing in the world to me. I was, I was laughing my ass off and just, uh, so excited for, you know, the, the action sequence that was about to happen. Uh, the other time was when Mad Dog, once again, and this was established early on with that, with that previous fight sequence, he lets the brother down in order to let both of them take him on at the same time. Like that's just his mentality. And that's why he's called a mad dog. Right. Um, he, it's not about like just winning. It's about the process. He has a uh, respect for the process, um, of fighting and respecting your opponents. And that's kind of wild for like someone who has the title of mad dog. And whenever he, he sets him down and no one says a word, the guy just Rama enters the room. He sees him, stops wailing on his brother Walks over, lets the guy down, and then in the case of them, like split up and walks in between them. And it was at that moment I just started laughing. I was, I think, I think I even clapped. Like I was just so amped up for this fight. <laughs> and it's incredible, right? I just love that buildup. It's a slow, slow entrance, right? Even just uh, before they even establish what they're going to be doing, it's just the sound of punches being landed. And then Rama's really slow reaction, the slow push in, and then the slow start as Mad Dog Lester Brothers fight together, right? All of that, right, is happening. And it probably took, I don't know, half an hour, but no, it felt like, uh, you know, just ages before the fight actually began. And it just set the table for you to, you know, really enjoy the fight and catch your breath um, after everything you've been experiencing up to that point. And, I love that whole sequence, right? And they do, again, they, they have that moment when they're adding tension, when we move into the music and sound effects. Now, they kept some ambient and foley, and, but they were kind of starting to repeat that that last fatality from the, the sergeant. And so that was right before Mad Dog, you know, finally gets stabbed in the neck with the broken light, which was crazy because he continues fighting and he, and with even more urgency you think he he's already kind of reached his his top gear and 
it made sense. Like the adrenaline's going, he's not ready to die. And you're just like, this guy is unstoppable. Uh, and then for his brother Rama to, to, to finish off the, uh, with kill, you know, that throat slice was just oh perfect. Like yeah. I loved it and it was gross, but even, you know, stepping back and looking at that whole sequence, that's a great use of a single room, lots of space and atmosphere and I can just imagine that it's really easy to rehearse that that fight sequence in a gym, right? Maybe we don't have access to that just yet, but if we know we're going to be shooting in this big empty space, well, now we can stage that. Uh, okay, there's a light overhead, you know, this is it. This is our one thing that we get. Now let's stage, you know, a five, 10 minute fight sequence, just the three of us and work through that and make it incredible. And it's just it's it's incredible it's yeah like that's one of my favorite fight sequences definitely of the last decade and worth it it just freaking works for sure i don't know if you want to add anything into that and <laughs> just the, i i agree with everything 100 percent. and just the only thing the only thing i would i guess add would be that i loved that they it was a fight sequence for mad dog it was literally built for him right so the the sequence before where he ends up killing the cop was for him was to establish his his him as a character but it was it was really also for the cop we we didn't know who you know he was winning sometimes mad dog was winning sometimes but but we the whole time you're like it was focused on on the cop because we're we're as a viewer we're like on his side right at this point because it's two on one. Usually it's like two on one against the hero. That's right? good. But yeah. in this scenario, it's two on one against the bad guy. And the bad guy is kicking ass. And so you're sitting and it's two on one against him and he's beating them. So you're sitting there thinking like, wait, who am I for? Because this guy <laughs> is such a badass that I kind of want to root for him, even though he's the bad guy. And it's taking two of them to even wear him down a little bit and even like you said when he gets stabbed in the neck he's still fighting and he's still winning you're you just you can't imagine it right and so the whole thing is and the camera i felt felt like was very much on him you know they kind of had to mm -hmm. because it was two on one you have to be on the one guy they're fighting not on the two guys so even though our hero is part of it rama is part of this fight it's really a fight it's really mad dog's fight. And so they, and they don't skirt around that. The camera is on mad dog the whole time, um, whether he's getting beaten up or beating them up. And I just love that. I love that. We don't give a shit. We're going to film. We're going to focus on mad dog the whole time. He'll win or lose. And it just felt really visceral. Like yeah. I couldn't decide if I wanted him to win or not and whatever. It was great. Good. No, man, it. that's so good because you're right. We don't usually get to see, one bad guy against two heroes and having that dynamic did create some conflict like, and he needed yeah. to earn that fight, right. By, by being as good or better than both of them or at least making you believe he is. And yeah, you don't, as a, the audience audiences are trained to root for the underdog. And so you have to believe that he is much better than both of them. Uh, and he earns that in spade. And I think you're right. The camera work following him, tracking him helps add to his superiority a lot. Yeah. Ooh. Absolutely. Whoa. And you know, it's like, it also goes the, the brothers together fighting him. And then, then obviously his brother is the top dog at the end of all this. Cause everybody else is dead. So, so his brother basically walking him out, it like establishes them together as brothers, even though they're still enemies, yeah, you know, because they 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 fought to uh, it. Just such it, all of this is all story arc. All of this is all like pieces that that come together, and it's just so well written, so well executed. Yeah, I loved Ooh. that. Um, on a simpler level, um, some of the simple storytelling that they do is, I like it. I mean, at the beginning, we have the cops are trying to keep everyone quiet, quiet, right? They're tying them up, they're gagging them. They're moving in silence. And so they're visually doing a great job without saying much of communicating what their goal is, which is to not be heard, not be found out, to to make it to the top uh, without anybody catching on. Um, and then, of course, you have the kid who screams 
um, and gets shot in the neck, which is a great little sequence. It's, you know, it's brutal. And I like that it's done by the crooked cop. The one guy that ends up being a large piece of crap uh, is the one who does that, not any of the the, the good cops, right? Um, who aren't dirty, who aren't crooked. Uh, and so that's all going back to what you just literally said, good writing. And it tells a complete story. And then that kid, you know, yells police to another kid and that kid triggers their alarm. Um, and the way they settle on that alarm for, you know, a good 30, 40 seconds of just looking at it kind of going off is playing right into that visual communication th that they'd been building up. It's a perfect contrast to watching them move silently and gagging people. And, and now we cut to a security room, right? Lots of monitors, the YU calls for a lockdown and call the neighbors or whatever he says. And of course, all the fallout ensues, right? Snipers, hitmen are taking out peripheral cops. And that creates the feeling that our SWAT team is now trapped. Because there's nothing on the outside that calls for their safety. Instead, nothing but death awaits them on the outside. And of course, everything on the inside is hunting them. And so very simple, easy visual elements that lead you to completely understand their predicament. Um, and that's really great writing and directing. Also, I think it's necessary because if you want this to play for an international audience, um, which Gareth Ed Evans is, I don't know where he's from, but it's not Indonesia. And it's just easy visual elements like that help the story digest a lot easier for, for, you know, non Indonesian audiences. Whereas maybe you could cheat a little bit if you're making an American film for American audiences, a little more talky, a little less, a little less showy. Um, but always, if you can do both, always do both. And, uh, kick the dog storytelling that I mentioned at the show opening. This is where they establish our main villain, right? We watch him while you violently execute a row of guys and then tease the final guy by putting the gun on his shoulder, right? It's empty. And before killing him with a hammer, right? That's all incredibly violent. Now, ultimately he's toothless, right? In this world of incredible fighters, but we need a quick, simple, effective way to identify the main villain. And so we give him the very first punch to set that in place before everything else. Um, and it also helps set the tone for the uh, brutality that we're going to be in for. And so they're doing a lot with that opening scene. Um, and it's relying on an age old tactic of let's see the, the bad guy do something to a helpless person. Um, right. That's why you call it kick the dog storytelling because you know, man's best friend, someone ideally that we like, but more importantly, someone who can't maybe can't defend themselves. And you just watch the bad guy do that. And if you do it well, there's there's cheap ways of doing it and there's good ways of doing it. And this is really well done um, because it, I bought it. Like, I think this is the hardest dude in here and don't mess with this guy. Uh, of course, you end up finding out he doesn't do anything for the rest of the film. Like, I think he stabs uh, Andy Rama's brother in the hand and then he gets shot in the head. Like he's, he dies very as, as easily as anybody else in this movie, maybe easier, but you know, you gotta, you gotta establish him and you gotta establish this universe. Um, and it's really well done. Only last notes are the palette here is very blue and gray and it just feels dark. It feels lifeless. I love the simple, and perfect lighting that you're kind of talking about earlier, right? You can throw this light back over here, whatever they're doing. It's good enough ambient light, but it's not glitzy. It's not, it's, it's not very pretty to look at, which given the camera package makes perfect sense. Um, it's really rough, uh, which goes perfectly with the, the, the camera work itself, right? A lot of handheld. It's very imprecise and it's fast. It's actiony and, that plays in with all the, the the fight choreography, just something to study. I think I can imagine, and this is one of those conversations I wish Aaron was here for, because I'd love to hear about how they go about rehearsing this stuff. Because in in an action film that where you have at least a little budget, you can have your 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 fight choreography taking place weeks in advance in a gym, and they're working through not just the fight sequence itself, but they're also testing ways to shoot the fight sequences in order to sell the fight. Here's the best way to shoot this punch. 
shoot it from over here and now you can whatever rack focus to the guy coming in through the door behind him um or whatever like the the fight choreography uh team can work through all those things and give you all these suggestions um as a director and say okay here's here's a bunch of things that we're seeing on our end um do with it what you will and yeah i would just love to pick aaron's brain about do you do that on your own and then you bring in the director at a certain point or is the director there from the beginning how does all that work all that process eventually we'll have him in for a full episode uh, we'll let him pick something in and like see what he see what he has to say about all all that nonsense but yeah that's i'd love to hear what what he'd like to cover i know Thank i feel bad because i mentioned i was like man i was i was talking on the matrix episode how how upset I was that I didn't think to bring you in on that. He's like, Oh man, I watched that like uh, seven or eight times and went in theaters. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I believe it. I, you know what? I didn't know that, but I absolutely knew that. <laughs> like, that <laughs> completely <laughs> makes sense, man. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's all I got, man. Any final thoughts? Cool. I, I had a question for you, which would be Ooh. just because we've, we've talked ad nauseum about, you know, how good the cinematography is, how good the, the writing and story is, how good the, um, you know, the lighting and the acting was and essentially, maybe not necessarily the acting, but what, if anything, would you change in this film? Or did you feel like you were taken out, you know, at any moments during the film, taken out of the, the, the moment by anything and, specifically whether that be filmmaking or writing or or acting or or whatever was there any is there anything that you'd change um it's it's hard like i don't know that there's a ton that i would change i would certainly want to relook at some of the at some of the drama at some of the story elements the the introduction i thought was interesting because you're watching him uh pray i think he's a muslim uh which i think is pretty cool we don't really see that in america we don't see heroes that start the story by praying, you know, uh, to the Easter yeah. or, you know, wherever, or to Mecca. Um, I forget the, the, how that actually operates in, in Islam, yeah. but I love that. I might choose a different beginning. It felt very, I don't know, training day to me. in the sense that you have a cop waking up, kissing his wife goodbye, and it works. It establishes him very, very well. Um, and, it's, it relies so much on their chemistry in order to sell that for the rest of the movie. And it does, it works. Um, uh, but I would probably structure that a little differently. I would want to play a little bit more with the, the ending. It felt still very nonsensical whenever you're thinking about the, the two bad guys, basically the captain or whoever he is, uh, the white haired guy, uh, the crooked cop and the, and why I have no idea what all that was about. Like it felt very rushed whenever you're thinking about the villain has a gun to his head and he's sitting here talking himself out of his own importance. Like, why would you do that? Yeah, that's that's a terrible tactic. And then Great point. you have a cop who, you know, looks to kill himself. I don't know. That stuff uh, doesn't quite click. It, it just felt like we're just trying to end the movie which is fine. It works. You already had your best fight sequence. And if you don't have anything that can top that, you're right. Get the hell out. <laughs> like, uh, Don't bore us. Get to the chorus. And, and so, yeah, I those are the only things that I would really look at because I know they shot it on like a whatever $2,000 camera. That doesn't bother me. It, I think it's beautiful for what it's trying to do. Some of the shots are actually beautiful. And I'm pretty sure they shot it on some fantastic lenses it wasn't like they they went full cheapy on it um can, mm -hmm. can i find no that's not it i'm on their imdb page and i'm going to look at the technical specs which they moved around yeah they shot these on zeiss ultra primes mm -hmm. and with using an adapter in order to use it because this is a micro four-thirds sensor um and that's today's you know parlance would be like mirrorless cameras or that kind of thing you don't shoot million dollar movies on cameras that cheap like that's that's insanity um but i love that they did it and it completely works yeah and yeah i don't know so cool. none of that stuff bothers me whatsoever but if i was going to look at something to change uh those are the things i would start to look at how can i make 
a slightly bigger story without giving away the big reveal. Because that's the other thing is if you tell too much story, you start to get the the idea that, oh, this guy is someone important to him. So it's a balancing act. And ultimately they nailed it. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Is there anything that you would shift? No, I mean, that that was a great answer. And I loved, I loved your answer, actually, because it doesn't increase the cost mm. of the movie. You didn't say anything about like, I would, I would actually spend more money on lighting or I would have, you know, I would have used a better camera. Like, no, you, you're like, okay, this is what we've got. Okay. Let's, let's look at story. Right. And cause that's always, always does not matter what your budget is. That will win. You could make a timeless $10,000 movie, right. Or you can make a shitty $10 million movie it happens all the time. And so I loved your answer there. Um, I did agree. I did agree. You know, the, the the end specifically was like just felt like they were just trying to end it a little bit. But I also did not care because <laughs> I was so I was I, I had been gifted this great this great movie up until that point that I was totally fine. So yeah, okay, great answer. Nice. That's it. Nice. Um, what are you going to recommend this week? Oh, I've you know I've been I've been waiting for a good time to recommend this film because it's it's one of my all time favorite martial art i guess you could call it martial art film kung fu i'm not sure but uh i'm i'm a big bruce lee fan and uh, if you're going to recommend anything in relation to some some bruce lee film it has to be enter the dragon uh from i think early 70s 75 73 something like that um put him i mean he was already on the map essentially but just like solidified him as one of the greats of all time and that that movie was I mean, just it, unbelievably, wonderfully perfect in, in, I feel like, every single way. And it's so rewarding to watch to watch him in action the way that he was. So, yeah, Enter the Dragon. Wow. I'm going to recommend a documentary that's gut-wrenching. Not heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching. Um, it's brutal, mm-hmm. and it's about Indonesia. Uh, it's called The Act of Killing. And it's about, uh, I think it was a genocide that took place there maybe 30, 40 years ago, something like that. And it's actually interviewing the the people who committed the genocide and you're spending time with them and what they think about what they did. Um, and it's, and, wow. and it's weird. It's, it, they do some very wild things that, you know, is both funny and it puts you through a lot of emotions um, because they start reenacting some of the things they did through Hollywood tropes. So like they, they do, they talk about uh, like an interview or an investigation and they talk about what they did, but they, they restage it for the documentary in the style of like a noir Humphrey Bogart. And it's just so wild and there's so much to wrestle with while watching this thing. It'll certainly haunt you, but it'll 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 have you questioning a lot of things. Um, and I think it won an Academy Award. If not, it was certainly nominated. But wow. I'm pretty sure it won uh, Best Documentary that year. Yeah. And so, well, I have I have so many questions. Uh, I'm just I'm gonna go watch that. That's that sounds amazing. It's damn some you win you out water burning. <laughs> Uh, stay tuned for next week where we lighten up <laughs> and <laughs> and find find out what Spider-Man's up to. We're going to check out uh, No Way Home because why not? We, we, we haven't done enough new movies lately and we realize that, but it's not our fault. There just aren't that many new movies that we want to cover that have been coming out. And we have no idea what to expect. We haven't seen this movie yet, but we'll, we'll, we'll cover that. And then Actually, I don't know when that episode is going to come out. Just as an FYI, uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to be releasing some episodes from our Patreon. We, we do bonus episodes, um, and I'm going to try to talk Todd and I in, into doing two episodes, two bonus episodes, you know, going forward a month. And maybe at the beginning of the year, when brought Todd and I, broad, when Todd and I take a, a break, um, a hiatus, uh, then we, we can release a few episodes from, from that, uh, without diluting the actual content that we're giving to our, our Patreon members. And so you'll get a taste of some of the things that we do for our bonus episodes for our Patreon members. And no worries if you don't want to do that. I literally, it's fine. Um, but if you do, I love you more than everyone else, just FYI. Uh, and so, uh, so stay tuned for that. I think, 
I don't remember which episodes uh, I'm picking. Um, I do have an interview that I'm going to release with an author who wrote his first book. It's a sci-fi book. Um, his name is Kevin Faulkner, and I think it's called The Sixth Traveler. He changed the title uh, after I read it. And so uh, forgive me for not remembering if that's not exactly it, but I think it's called The Sixth Traveler. And so we did an interview talking about the process of writing his book. And there's a couple other episodes that I'm excited about. I'm going to put out the Sunshine versus underwater episode where Todd and I discuss the difference and similarities between sunshine and underwater. I love that episode. I think that was a really cool bonus episode for sure. And one other to be determined, we have an episode on the guilty. We have an episode on Finch. We have an episode on, and these are shorties. They're like only 20, 30 minutes. Um, and, but we also have one on Coda. Uh, all three of those I thought were really good. Um, and so I don't know. Uh, maybe you can pick for me, Todd, um, and and let me know what you'd prefer. Um, okay. But yeah. And so with that in mind, if you're enjoying the show, feel free to just su- su- subscribe and review us on, on the tunes um, and leave us a note if you want us to talk about a thing um, or something you find interesting or just to say hello and to keep up the good job. It's always nice to hear from anyone. I literally see numbers as every once in a while I'll check our stats. Uh, we're, we're getting up to over a thousand downloads a month. And at some point, you know, I'm hoping that we'll break 2000 downloads in a month for us. That's a lot. It's not a lot for the, the, the Freakonomics and NPRs out there. They're doing like 10,000 a month, a million a month. And for us, like I'm excited. We're finally steadily doing like a thousand a month. Um, and maybe this month will be our first 2000. I don't know. I, I don't think so, but you know, have hope, have hope, positive thinking, positive thinking. (laughs) That's actually a Merry Christmas cocktail reference. Um, yeah. And if you want to comment on this episode, you can do that at the pestpodcast.com slash the raid redemption. And our quote of the day is from director Gareth Edwards. I found there are a lot of advantages to being on a small budget and having a small crew. You get some very intimate performances and naturalistic cinematography. I think some people get confused between development and pre-production. Yeah, I thought, I don't know, I for what, obvious reasons, well, not whatever reason, for a very obvious reason, the director, Gareth Evans, Evans made me think of the other director, Gareth Edwards. So I was just curious, you know, what he had to say. And I love that. I think it's completely accurate. You know, being on a small budget uh, with a small crew actually affords you a lot of things um, that you don't get with these bigger, bigger budgets and bigger crews. For one, the oversight. You know, you don't have a bunch of producers and stakeholders breathing down your throat because they're they're worried about their $150 million budget. And now you have to shoot all this extra coverage and you have to cover your ass and post. Uh, instead, you know, it's just, hey, go have fun because we don't expect our, our money to come back to us. <laughs> like most small yeah. indie film investors know it's whatever, bro. Just go have fun. We're, we're here to enjoy the process, not because we think we're going to make a billion dollars. And that gets you so much more that gets you creative freedom. It also means that, you know, if we want to shoot and get ahead of schedule, we don't have to worry about moving these huge cranes all over the building or all over the forest. Like you can turn around and start getting ahead because your shoot day is going really, really fast. Hey, let's get a a jump on tomorrow and shoot a couple extra scenes. Or maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe you say, let's explore the scene in a whole other way. What else could we do with the scene or there's just so much more creative freedom whenever you don't have to worry about big budgets, big crews. Um, and then you also don't have to worry about them getting into your actor's heads whenever you have huge lights. I've seen this happen when you put big lights in front of an actor um, who's very talented and suddenly, you know, there's an intimidation factor that kicks in and it's hard for them to channel the character because they're so fixated with the spotlight. And with all the attention, um, whereas if you can strip all that stuff away, suddenly it just feels like two people in a room together and they're creating something for fun. Uh, and that allows the mm-hmm. performances to feel so much more personal uh, because the guard is down and it's easier to access for the actor, you know, themselves. Yeah. And then the, his last comment about I think some people get confused between development and pre-production. That's so good. Pre-production is your ability to actually go in and figure out what do we want to do? How are we going to execute it? 
and maybe he has a completely different meaning behind this, but whenever I think of what he's talking about here, development is much to me sounds more like the, uh, the big picture idea of, you know, do we got the right people? Do we have the right A-listers? Do we have, you know, uh, a rollout plan? How, what's our marketing going to look like? Let's make sure we get all our marketing in step. Uh, that's big budget headaches. That's Marvel headaches. That's Disney stuff, right? For me, you and I, Todd, all we're thinking about is pre-production. Like what's the coolest thing we can do with the budget that we have and go. Uh, And that's Mm -hmm. all we're going to be thinking about. And that's so much more creatively satisfying and probably more satisfying for the viewer. Um, A lot of times, not every time, uh, but a lot of times I think, you know, Mm -hmm. at minimum 50, 50. Uh, But if you care and you put the thought and the, the, the intention into pre-production, you're going to have a much better time on set and probably a much more satisfying end product. I don't know. That's what I think of when I see that quote. Yeah. I love that. I I couldn't agree more. And I mean, I know, you know, a a shoestring budget is not always the answer either. Mm -hmm. You know, some movies, you cannot shoot a bond movie for a million (laughs) dollars. I don't give a shit who you are. And if you do, (laughs) it's going to be a really bad one. Yes. You know, Yep. Um, but and even a movie like this, it's very surprising that they only spent one point one million dollars. It it is, but that that speaks to you know not only the ability, right, uh, but also you know because it had to be well well written, it had to be well uh, exec- like acted, it had to be well directed, well shot, all of those things. But there's also this idea of you know if you know if everyone knows we are just trying to make something cool, the attitude on a set is very different. Right. Because everyone is making concessions because they're there because they want to be not because it's necessarily their job. And maybe sometimes sometimes they are, you know, obviously. And everybody's got to make a dollar. That's not not what I'm saying. But it's this this idea we're all making concessions because we want to be here is a totally different vibe. Right. And now all of a sudden, it you know, I don't see that light that's aimed at me. I'm just here to perform and I'm going to perform no matter what. It's just this uh, really cool attitude. I love that too. And with something like this in particular, the raid, like why it's so much cheaper to pay your fight team to come up with cool fights. And that's what people are there to see anyway. So it's, it's easier to spend money there, you know, pay them extra five, 10, whatever it is, 20 grand and have them work for, you know, six weeks developing these fight sequences or whatever it is. I have no idea. Again, Aaron, we need you um, to to actually yeah. stage some of these ideas, but pay them a little bit more because it's cheaper than having 25 crew members on set, you know, uh, or, and building out whatever this crazy CGI rig uh, that you need. No, just pay the creative people who are good at what they do and why audi- audiences are there in the first place. That's such a yeah. much better use of budget. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> and just knowing what the movie, knowing what your movie is, mm. right? Like you said, I'm there to see the fight scenes and that's what I get, right? And everything is, you know, focused around there, but you still get more. You get more story and all that stuff, but like, don't yeah. bore us, get to the chorus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and with that, thank you guys so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. As Wes said, always, and we love to hear from you. Let us know if there's something that you'd like to hear us do. Uh, maybe we'll, maybe we'll cover that movie. Uh, Make sure to subscribe, review us on iTunes and all the good places where you get your podcasts. Uh, Until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch the movies.